Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to House of Horrors. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. Here on the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? What's up, everybody? My name is Jonathan B. Lerner with Believe in House of Horrors on the Believe Podcast Network. The first thing I want to do on tonight's episode is actually apologize. If you've been listening, I mean, I don't even know how you could have really been listening at this point because we started with Believe back in the start of the year. Actually, it's February. So kind of right before this whole coronavirus global pandemic started. Now, that's no excuse. I'm not one to make excuses. But, you know, when we were getting our bearings, figuring out the system and, you know, getting our studios worked out and squared away. That took some time. And then really, right before I felt like we were going to gain some momentum, find a regular schedule, bam, global pandemic. And we've been living in a horror movie ever since. Speaking of which, I should say, I hope that all of you are doing well, staying healthy, staying sane as much as possible. Take care of those you can and take care of yourself as much as possible. See, look, it's getting to me. It's getting to my brain already. Truth is, we've been on lockdown here in New York City since the mid, maybe mid-late March, which is over a month ago now, and it's not been easy, and that kind of goes without saying. But regardless, I did just want to put it out there. You know, it did kind of put a wrench in our system. Access to the studio has been more difficult and, and whatnot. I don't really want to go on and on about it because that's not what we're here for, but I did want to say something about it because it's worth knowing, and, you know, I, I do. I want the audience to know that it's not always going to be this sporadic and the schedule's not always going to be this haphazard and random. Now, let's get on to what we love and what we know, and that is scary movies. Tonight, I'm going to talk about a movie that is kind of crazy to me. I can't believe I'm talking about it. I can't believe I'm featuring it. In most instances, it's not a movie I would really even watch, I don't think, and certainly not feature on a show like this. But having said all of that and gotten you all really excited to hear about it, I do think by the end of the episode, you'll understand why I felt it was worth inclusion. Tonight, we're going to go in-depth and look at a film called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Alright, so... First things first, I think before anything else, we need to address clowns in general. In 2020, I can't think of anybody who genuinely likes clowns. Actually, I can. I have one friend who does, and he's a weirdo. But why are we afraid of clowns? Chlorophobia. That's the clinical term for fear of clowns. Hey, that needs to be quieter. It's too loud. All right. All right. Bear with us, folks. Okay. So, yeah, clowns. All right. Well, first of all, the song you just heard, that is the main theme 
from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And it plays off of the most famous circus theme you've ever heard. If you're like most people on Earth, you won't recognize it by the title. The song is called Entrance of the Gladiators. Now, I once actually put together a trivia night at a bar, naturally, and I said the entrance of the gladiators is most famously heard when slash where the Olympic Games, the Super Bowl, Comic-Con, or the circus. And there were 28 people in the audience that night. 23 got it wrong. I knew a lot of people wouldn't recognize it by name. I was stunned that many people couldn't figure it out. Here is Entrance of the Gladiators. Perhaps you'll recognize it. Yeah, I know. And I apologize for playing that, and I apologize for creeping you out. Everyone is creeped out by that tune. (laughs) That is Entrance of the Gladiators, and obviously it is most commonly recognized as the theme of the circus. The Universal Circus. And it creeps people out. The circus seems to creep people out, mostly because of clowns. Okay, so what are clowns? You know, before there was Pennywise, before there was kind of a universal dislike of the circus, there were killer clowns from outer space. Now, as I mentioned, this is not typically a movie I would review. It is a B-movie. It came out in the 80s, and it is very much recognizable as a movie of the 80s. It is kind of cheesy. The killer clowns aren't just clowns who kill people. They are aliens. Already, if you are anything like me, you would hear me say that and think, eh, dumb, next. But please, allow me to explain. The reason I'm including this movie is because I first saw this movie when I was probably seven years old. And despite the fact that it's a B-movie, that it's kind of a horror comedy, a term I actually hate, but it is, I saw this movie as a seven-year-old. And I swear to God, folks, it scared me to the core. I mean, it, it, it gave me nightmares. It, it scared me to the point where between the ages of nine and like 22, I blocked this film out. I completely forgot that it existed. And I'm not even exaggerating. I have always liked scary movies. And frankly, I have a very good memory if I do say so myself. But between the ages of like 10, 9 or 10, and about 22, I honestly, I completely forgot this movie even existed. I blocked it out. And the first time I was re-exposed to it, it all came crashing back. The fear, the anxiety, even the nightmares. This film gave me one of the only reoccurring nightmares I have ever had in my entire life. So it's special. It's special. It's actually also kind of a case study in how what we experience and what we feel and kind of comprehend things to be as a very young child sticks with you in a way that nothing else will. 
Our taste buds may change, but oftentimes, if you hated coleslaw as a young child, you're never really going to like it. I say that from personal experience. Also, if you see a film as a young child, maybe it's not really that scary, and if you saw it for the first time as a 35-year-old, you would think it's complete and utter horse crap. But, because it made that lasting impression, it's always scary to you, and that's how this film is to me. But having said all of that, it's not as bad as I'm leading it up to sound. So, let's get into it, shall we? Okay, so this film is written, directed, and produced by the Kyoto Brothers. Now, Stephen, Charles, and Edward Kyoto are actually fairly well-known throughout the biz for their work in special effects, more specifically in clay modeling, create uh, creature creation, stop motion, and animatronics. They've also worked like on The Simpsons quite a bit, Wallace and Gromit, stuff like that, and with uh, Tim Burton quite a bit as well. Oh, and speaking of which, if you saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure, obviously we all know the best scene in that film is the one with Large Marge. And at the very end when she goes, and it looked like this. <laughs> so they were in charge of that. Surely you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie, well... I'm, I'm a crazy person. In fact, even if you have seen the movie, I'm a crazy person. Anywho, killer clowns. So the Kyoto Brothers, yes, more, most known for their work and special effects in 1987-88, they got their big shot at creating a full-length feature film, all of their own, and that was what led to killer clowns. Not just regular clowns, but clowns from outer space. Yes, that's right, space clowns. You've heard of the space cowboy? Well, these are space clowns. Now, you don't need to see two minutes of this film to know that these brothers aren't exactly fans of subtlety or nuance, and you'll find there's absolutely none of either one of those things in this film. Now, part of that was kind of the 80s aesthetic, but really, it's just their style. Anything and everything you could ever possibly associate with clowns or the circus or carnivals it's in this film, perhaps more than once. I'm talking balloon animals, cotton candy, pies to the face, big top circus tents, tiny clown cars, puppet shows, and so forth and so forth. Now, the only thing is, each and every one of these things that's usually associated with fun and harmless elements of, you know, the circus and childhood, I guess. Well, these all have a sinister twist. Even the popcorn. Oh, my God, the popcorn. The popcorn shows up throughout this entire film, and it Makes sense, I guess, because there's a lot of popcorn at circuses, carnivals, stuff like that, I guess. Maybe I haven't been to one in a while, but apparently it's there's a lot of popcorn at those things. The only thing about this popcorn is, now, it's unlike any popcorn you've ever seen before. You see, not only does the popcorn serve as ammunition to many of these clown weapons, but it also seems to be the first stage of their reproductive life cycle. Only... It's also, at certain parts in the film, something they use to punish humans. You see, they're able to turn humans into popcorn as a way to shrink them and trap them and so on. So popcorn, ammunition, zygote, punishment. Sure. Whatever. Popcorn, why? Popcorn! Because the clouds, that's why. Like I said, <laughs> no subtlety, no nuance. These people are running for their lives from killer clowns out of a circus tent, having just seen dead bodies wrapped in cotton candy. And yet, she's confused by the popcorn. It's dope. Now I say that, and yet, I have to point out, up till this point in the film, and understandably it's early on, 
but it kind of stays. I mean, this is kind of a running theme throughout. Up till this point, no one except that girl, the same girl who just asked about the popcorn, no one else seems to think there's anything weird about everything so far. This circus tent that is just randomly in the woods. There are no people around here, but there's a circus. Also, a very brightly lit up circus tent. No noise, no commotion, nothing, no people. Not weird at all. They go in because, hey, why not? Let's just go into this random circus tent. That seems normal. And they find it to be not like a circus, but like some kind of weird futuristic factory. The young man is not bothered whatsoever. They go down an elevator because, again, hey, they feel free to explore. They find a large room with enormous light bulb-shaped things of cotton candy. Enormous light bulb-shaped things of cotton candy hanging on hooks in a row. Now, have you ever seen cotton candy like that? I sure haven't, and if I did, I would think that is fucked up. I wouldn't think, delicious, let's dig in. Well, apparently the girl who asked about popcorn, she's the only one who notices that this is all very strange. This isn't what you think it is. Nobody stores cotton candy like this. What are you talking about? Of course it is. In fact... Nobody stores cotton candy at all. You either eat it or you don't. But I digress. Now, even after figuring out that there's something strange about these clowns and this whole circus scenario, they have to then convince virtually everybody that these aren't just your average run-of-the-mill clowns. And that is, frankly, the most ridiculous part. It's not just people they convince. Throughout the movie, these clowns have have interactions with actual humans. They run into humans in the store, at a restaurant, they go and see them, and every single time a human first sees these clowns, they se seem to think, oh, how fun and funny. It's a clown. Let's watch. He's going to put on a show. Folks, first of all, I live in New York City, and it wouldn't matter. I could live in New Hampshire, Connecticut, Florida. If I'm just walking down the street and I see a clown, I don't care what he looks like. That ain't normal, and I'm not comfortable. I'm certainly not excited. But here's the thing. These clowns don't look like clowns. They don't look like... What do we know clowns to be? They are humans in costumes. They are humans with paint on their faces and wigs and whatnot. They're humans, and we recognize them as humans because they still have the same basic shape of a human. These clowns don't. These clowns, yes, they have the kind of traditional clothing of clowns and whatnot, and yeah, they have the traditional makeup in the sense that they have red, big red lips and kind of funny colors on their faces, but they don't look like humans. They look very obviously like monsters. I would need no convincing to run from these clowns. I would need no one to tell me that these were not good guys. In fact, they're not guys at all. I, you know, when I reviewed the film It, Stephen King's It, I talk about how Pennywise takes the shape of a clown initially because he's trying to lure the children in. A clown, at least in its most, you know, traditional sense, is 
safe to kids. It's fun. It's something they're interested in. He's going to do magic or maybe make balloon animals or do tricks. He's smiling. He's going to make me laugh and so on and so forth. The clown uses that to get the kid's trust, lure him in, and then Pennywise changes shape, sucks them in, and you know the rest. These clowns never look funny. They never look fun. They never look safe. And frankly, they don't speak English, at least not outwardly. Only, as it turns out, like most aliens, the, while English may not be their first language, they're actually way more advanced than us. And they do understand English, and they can speak it if and when they need to, and if they choose to. That becomes evident in one of my favorite scenes, and it's actually a scene that I genuinely do think is really scary. Really scary. Now, before I introduce this scene, I have to comment on another hilariously cheesy and over-the-top aspect of this film, and that is the writing. The writing is, for example, someone wrote the line, Popcorn! Why popcorn? Now, I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if someone, if as the Kyoto brothers were sitting and coming up with the script, they thought, well, really, how will people figure it out? But lines like that are in the script, and it's just a really cheesy, almost, I mean, almost, it had to have been intentionally ridiculous script. For example, one of my favorite characters is absolutely one of the most ridiculous. It is a police officer. His name is Officer Mooney. He's played by veteran actor John Vernon. You might recognize him. He was the dean in Animal House. He also played the mayor in Dirty Harry and so on and so forth. He's a veteran actor, a very, very professional man, an actor of the stage and the screen, and he plays Officer Mooney. Now, Officer Mooney is an old crotchety man who hates everybody. everybody. And he assumes, for one reason or another, that everyone is out to get him. People are always trying to pull one over on him. They think he's old and stupid, and he's gonna show them a thing or two, you son of a bitch. And so, when he is at the police station, and the phones start ringing off the hook from members of the community, people he knows, people it seems that he's had a cordial even trusting relationship with at one point they call in and say we are being attacked people are murdering us and yes they are dressed as clowns well the second he hears they're dressed as clowns he doesn't just think they're pulling a prank the entire town is pulling a prank but it's something malicious and they're trying to do something here that he is not gonna let happen So he just kind of blows them off, tells them all to go to hell, although he doesn't tell them to go to hell. Like I said, the writing in this film is ridiculous, and instead of saying, screw you people, or F you, he says, Freak yourself. You ain't gonna get the best of me. I made it through Korea, I can make it through this bullshit. Yes, he is crotchety to the point where he hates the world and he's ready to let the whole community die. But he's not a man who curses. Frig yez all. Frig yez all. Yes, that common phrase we've all heard a hundred times. Well, it's not long before one of these alien killer clowns 
makes his way to the police station, and at first, the officer, the crotchety officer Mooney, well, he's a... He almost feels bad for the poor son of a bitch. And again, you can't see this, but I'm just going to tell you, the clown that has walked into the station is at least eight and a half feet tall, fat, and has a bloated face that looks like a monster. But whatever, it's just a clown, and he can deal with clowns. Well, whoop the goddamn to do What do we have here? <laughs> well, son, I think you made a big mistake. You're in Mooney's territory now. Then, for some reason, and again, nothing makes sense, but for some reason this clown doesn't go right out and kill Officer Mooney, he plays along. Not only does he play along, but he actually plays the role of an actual clown. He hands the officer a bouquet of flowers, only for it to squirt water in his face. And Mooney does not like that one bit. I had to shoot you right now, you red-nosed freak. <laughs> So you want to play games, eh? Turn around! I'm supposed to read you your rights, but you're in Mooney's jail. And you ain't got no rights. All right, Buster. God. What a line. I'm supposed to read you your rights. But you're in Mooney's jail, and you ain't got no rights. Hey, I have to hand it to Officer Mooney. He is a brave son of a bitch. Anywho, needless to say, not much longer after this, Officer Mooney ends up dead. And eventually his partner returns to the station. Now, keep in mind, he hates everybody, so he had blown his partner off already. And apparently these are the only two police officers in the entire town. It is a small town, but two police officers? I, I don't think so. Anyway. When his young partner comes back to the station, that's when my favorite scene takes place. So this clown that you just heard going, and we have not heard a clown speak English at any point yet. Well, when the young officer comes into the station and notices immediately something is wrong, we see the clown's back turned to us. He slowly turns around in the chair and we see that he has turned Officer Mooney, this tough, tough man, into a ventriloquist dummy. Now, here's where we learn that the alien clowns understand and can speak English. And it's the first time we actually see an effect that is chilling and scary. You're going to hear some sounds. Pay attention to them. I'll explain them after the clip.
okay, so after the the dummy leans forward and says, Don't worry, Dave, all we want to do is kill ya, you hear those sounds. Well, like I said, the clown has turned Officer Mooney into a ventriloquist dummy. So what you're hearing is he's pulling his hand out of his back and you see his hand all bloody and he flings it down. And so you're hearing the suction of the hand coming out and he's flicking the blood onto the ground. Now, I don't know why, but to me, that is so chilling because I personally think of that when you wash your hands and you find that there's no uh, paper towels or, you know, rag around. Well, you fling the water into the sink and you can feel it flying off. So we all know that feeling and it was just chilling. Then you hear that. That's the clown rising up from the chair. And by the way, he's no taller now than he was before. But now he's scary. He wasn't to Mooney. Anyway. Folks, I'm not going to go on and take you through the whole plot of the film. That would be a spoiler, and you got to see it for yourself. But there's a reason this film has become such a cult classic, and believe me, it has. People love this film. Uh, Like I said, it sticks with me. I'm sitting here talking about how cheesy and funny it is, and yet I'm still scared of these clowns. These clowns are terrifying to me, and so the nightmare I'd have over and over again... I would dream that my parents and my siblings and I were taken to the circus. The dream starts after the circus as we're walking out of the arena to the car. I somehow get lost and am left at this big arena with just the circus folk. And the circus folk turn into these clowns from outer space and they are coming to get me. It's not a fun dream, folks. It's not a fun dream. But this is a fun movie, and you should see it if you haven't. And it also has a pretty good score. You know, a lot of shout-out to John Massari, who, with a very low budget, had to use only synthesizers and was still able to come up with some really, really good, you know, mood-setting music. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Actually, I guess iTunes doesn't technically exist anymore. Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. Basically, wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at B-Leave, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, podcasts. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.